as I said, we are uh, in the middle of the book of Galatians. We're in a series in the book of Galatians entitled Set Free. We're going to talk a lot about freedom today and over the next few weeks. And so I think we need to frame up freedom right away here today. Because here's what I know is that all of us have different uh, views of freedom. And the primary view of freedom right now in our culture is you get to do whatever you want. Like that's freedom. Like true freedom is like you get to be whoever you want. You get to do whatever you want. And maybe like you wouldn't say that out loud because like you're in church, you know, that's not the the Jesus answer. But just privately, you think when, when you have a free day, when you have a day off work, you're just like, I can do whatever I want. I'm free. And here's the reality as we look at God's word. We know that that's not ultimately true, true freedom. That you see it in something simple like whatever Disney movie you've seen with a fish in it, or maybe you have a pet fish at home and you realize like, like if the fish goes out of the water that it was designed for, it goes out onto the shore. And some of you have seen this in the movie, like what does it do? It like flopping around. And you could come along and see that fish like out of the water. You could be like, okay, fish. Do your thing, fish, you're free. What's the reality? The fish is dead or dying slowly, right? It's not freedom. See, biblically, freedom is not getting to do whatever you want. It's getting to do what you were created to do. It's getting to do what you were designed to do. That is true freedom. That's where you find the joy. That's where you find the fulfillment and meaning and purpose that honestly many of us are looking for. And instead of finding it there and what we were created to do, we do kind of do whatever we want to do. And eventually we experience pain in that even amidst the pleasure because that's not true freedom. And so today our sermon title is No Longer a Slave. We're gonna talk about what it means to be free in Christ and some practical implications of that, that we're no longer a slave and we're gonna see what, what true freedom actually looks like. And so grab your Bible. If you haven't already, grab your Galatians journal, head to Galatians chapter three. We're gonna start in verse 23 and head to chapter four, verse seven. Galatians three twenty-three. It says this. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now now there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Our first point is no longer slave, but free, no longer slave, 
but free. If you look at that first verse with me, verse 23, it starts out, now before faith. That's a key phrase. Now before faith, before you placed your faith in God, before you began to live by faith, before that, here's what he says, we were captive, imprisoned, That's slavery imagery. In verse seven of chapter four, it literally says slave directly. And what Paul is talking about is the law, but he's not just talking about the law. He's talking about the law void of relationship, rules void of relationship. That that in that day, there would be people who would be reading this letter who would kind of know the law, the 10 commandments, the 613 commandments, the five books of the the Bible, the first five books, the Torah, they would have known about the the law. And and many of them were being convinced by Judaizers. uh, These people would come along to say, hey, just follow the law. It's really important. Jesus is fine, but you got to really follow the ceremonial law, all the nuances of the law, the Sabbath, the circumcision, all those things. And so these people were coming along and telling these believers, it's all about the law. It's all about rules. Relationship, not so much. And so they were very familiar with this idea of the law. Some of you may be brand new to church and you're like, Tim, if if I was to be quizzed right now, please don't. But if I was to be quizzed, I couldn't name one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, I know it's something about killing and stealing and adultery, and, but I couldn't actually recite them. Maybe you don't know the actual law at all, but you know rules. You know the rules of our culture. You know philanthropy. You know, like, you're not supposed to cut people off when you're driving. You know, I mean, you, you know that in this morning when people said, like, hey, how are you doing? You're supposed to say, good, how are you? Like, you, you know the rules, even if you don't know the actual rules in the Bible, And what Paul is going to paint a picture of like, hey, if you live just by rules, void of relationship, you will be enslaved, imprisoned. And again, a lot of you know this, whether it's the actual rules in the Bible or the rules you've created for yourself. Many of you know what it's like to to live by those void of relationship. It goes one of two ways. Uh, for some of you, for a little while, maybe it's the Ten Commandments, and you're like, okay, you got them up on your, your mirror, on your dash, you're like, not going to kill anybody today, check. Uh, I'm not going to steal, I'm not going to covet, I'm not going to have another God, I'm not going to have an idol, no statues in this car, like, I'm good, check, 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 right? And you're just like, man, I'm, I'm following the rules. And some of you, you can do that for a little while. Some of you for like an hour, and that's it. Right? And some of you, like for a few days, you're just like walking around, like I'm just obeying the law, obeying the rules. And, and maybe it's ones you just created for yourself. You're, you're just following the law and the rules really, really well. Here's what happens when you do that. Here's how you're enslaved. Is you did that thinking, I'm going to do this to become a better person. Here's what happens when people, and some of you know people like this, who follow the rules all the time and they're not messing up yet. Here's what happens. They're not a better person. They're a more annoying person. Can we just be honest in church today? There's more annoying. They're just like more smug. They're more self-righteous. They're more legalistic. They're more judgmental of other people around them. And so it doesn't even just rules void of relationships. If you follow them to a T for hours or days, it doesn't even provide the outcome that you are pursuing. Rules are your master, Right? You have no relationship, it's just rules. You're enslaved and that's where it leads, right? And then the other option that most of us can relate to better is just breaking the rules, right? 
You know, you know all the rules. Maybe you did put them up on your dash or on your mirror at one point in time. Maybe you memorized the Ten Commandments. Maybe you read the self-help books and you knew the list and you're trying to follow it, the way you eat, the way you work out, the way you do do philanthropy and, and the things you don't do to people that you, you really want to do to people, the things you don't say online that you really would love to just unleash the, the anger and all your pent-up frustration on, but you're like, I'm not going to do it today. Putting the phone away. And even if you've done that for a while, inevitably you fail and you lie or you lust or you cheat somebody in business or you just covet. You look on Instagram, you're like, man, that, that vacation would be nice for us. And you break the law, you break the rules. And if you just have rules as your master, man, it's shameful. It's like drowning in guilt. And then you start to look at your rules that you thought, man, I'm high and mighty, I'm doing it, I'm crushing it. You start to look at those and you're like, I'm guilty and I'm shameful. And this master, these rules did that to me. And so you start to see how far you can get away from the rules. And then you move on just to utter rebellion. And here's what happens. When rules are your master, void of relationship, you are on a pendulum swing back and forth. Maybe for some of you, this is your life. I would guess for some of you, this is your day. You hit the shame because you break the rules. You hit the self-righteousness because you obey some of the rules. Then you break a rule and you hit the shame. And then you obey the rule and you hit the self-righteousness. And then you memorize the verse and then you come to church and, you, and things are going well and it's self-righteousness. But the moment you lust, the moment you have pride, the moment you have gossip, the moment you covet, go right back to shame. For some of you, that's your life. For some of you, that's one hour of your life going back and forth and back and forth. Here's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's set free. Here's the book of Galatians is that Jesus Christ blows up that paradigm. Jesus Christ blows up that pendulum swing because he inserts relationship instead of rules that Jesus Christ by grace through faith because he lived the, the law perfectly on your behalf when you could not. He followed all the rules perfectly when you could never do that. And he died the death that you deserve because you broke the rules. And he took on all the guilt and all the shame, past, present, and future from you upon himself on the cross. And he gave himself for you and he defeated sin, Satan, death. And he freed you from the rules being your master. And he freed you from self-righteousness, but he also freed you from, from shame. Amen? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that's the book of Galatians. It blows that pendulum swing out of the water. It doesn't exist anymore for the believer in Christ. And Paul is trying to paint that picture. You're no longer in slavery to sin and the law. You are set free. Now, it's not free to do whatever you want. It's free to do what God designed you to do. It's true freedom. Now, I think we can look at this, and we have several times in this book, we can look at the law and we can think, okay, Tim, the law puts us in that pendulum swing of self-righteousness and shame. The law enslaves us. Like, the law is not good. Like, I see where Martin Luther was coming from. Like, get the law out of here. Like, James, let's just leave that book out of the Bible. 
Because you're just like over and over, it keeps saying the law enslaves us, the law controls us, the law, we're not good enough. And Paul goes on to explain, here's what the law really is for. You see, the law is not bad. We are bad. The law is good. And so how should the law work? He tells us, and he gives us a word picture. He says it's like a guardian. Multiple times in this passage, we see the law should be like a guardian. Some translations will say tutor, literally. It's the idea of like a, a nanny, like a babysitter, someone who just kind of watches over you to protect you. So it's like, I have a teenage daughter, uh, but once upon a time, she was a little girl. And when she was a little girl, we had a, a dog. We have a dog now. It's not the same dog, if you catch my drift. I know, all. Um, but when she was a little girl, we had this other dog named Rocky. And like the way uh, she related to Rocky is way different than she relates to Lincoln now as a teenager. The way she related to Rocky and just operated in our family is we were kind of her guardian. So, so just different things, like little things like the dog food. When my teenage daughter, when she was a little girl crawling around on the floor, she liked dog food. Like, and we had to tell her, like, don't eat the dog food. It was really funny. We had a family that will go unnamed uh, at, at our church. Uh, they were over at our house recently, and they have a little bitty girl. And we have a dog, and we have dog food. It's on the ground. And let me just tell you, like, she wasn't going, like, hand to mouth with the dog food. She was going mouth to bowl. I mean, she was just, like, loving this dog food, right? And some of your parents with a dog and a little baby, you know what that's like, right? And that's the way it was when my daughter was very little. And so we had to be guardians and say, hey, dog food is not good. And like put a cage around her, a fence around her, take it up off the floor and put it on the counter because we were her guardians. We're trying to protect her. Now my daughter's a teenager. I, we don't have to do that anymore. You know why? Because about probably uh, four years old, five years old, six year old, she tried something called fajitas. Praise Jesus, right? She tried steak. And you know what? The dog food didn't taste so good anymore, right? She didn't need that, that same kind of nanny or tutor or protection anymore. She knew what was good. She had tasted it. And she didn't want the bad as much anymore, this is how our relationship with God changes, with faith instead of just the law, with relationship instead of just rules. The, the law is intended to be this guardian, to protect you, to put up guardrails. Many of you are parents of young, young children, and you know, like, that's kind of your job right now. You're just trying to make sure they pee in the right spot. Right? You're just trying to make sure they don't eat this. They don't do that. You're their guardian because they don't know any better. But something will happen eventually. Parents, something better is coming. Right? You turn into not a guardian, but a, a father or a mother. There's a relationship that takes place. You see, my daughter's a teenage, teenager now. She knows Jesus. Like she's placed her faith in Jesus by, by grace through faith. She has the Holy Spirit of God working within her. So now our relationship has changed. I'm not swatting her hand out of the dog food. No, we're like eating fajitas together. <laughs> we're, we're talking about things. We're talking through things. I'm teaching her the why behind the what, not just the what. I'm teaching her not just what to think, but how to think. It's a relationship. She can talk back. We can share things with one another. Things change. But the law is meant to, as a guardian, point us to that. And it's even meant to reveal that there's a gap between those things, right? 
See, the guardian is a little bit of a revealer of a, of a gap. Because the reality is for most of us in our lives, here's how we think about ourselves, okay? We think we're not that bad. I mean, sure, I've made some mistakes, but I mean, I'm better than that guy over there. I'm better than my coworker. I'm better than this friend. We kind of compare ourselves to other people's standards. And we tend to think I'm not that bad. Maybe some of you here today are like, Tim, I'm at church. I'm trying. I've made some mistakes. I have some regrets, but, but I'm not that bad. So here's what the law does. It's your guardian. And it's your guardian to point you to something better. The law points you to faith in Jesus Christ. And here's how it does it. It kind of wrecks that whole I'm not that bad thing. And it shows you that God is perfect and holy. Like just like the sun shines and gives off heat like inherently because that's what the sun is made up of. God is perfect like that. God loves perfectly. He shows grace perfectly because it's intrinsically who he is in his very character and, and nature. He's, he's perfect. He's holy. And the law of like, you shouldn't kill somebody. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shouldn't have any other gods before me because they're not worthy of your, your worship. The law is meant to point you to God's perfect character, but it's also meant to point you to your condition of sin, and no longer can you say, well, I'm just not that bad because you start to see my sin, I'm dead in my sin and God's perfection, there is a massive gap and all the little things I'm doing to try to work my way to God will, will never suffice and I need somebody else. I need Jesus and I need faith. I need relationship, not rules. I need a new master. I need to be set free. Right. Paul's saying, hey, the law is meant to point you to that. So what I would say to you as we start off the top here is, has your relationship with God at some point shifted from guardian to father, from rules to relationship? If I were to ask you today, hey, tell me about your relationship with God. How many of you would start with your resume? The Bible verses you know, the church services you've attended or missed. How, how would you talk about your relationship with God? Would it be as a free relationship with a loving father or would it be, here's all the rules I've done perfectly and here's where I messed up? How do you talk about your relationship with God? Paul's saying, if you're in Christ, you have a relationship with God, right? You've been set free with new desires to, to operate as he intended for you to operate. Is that the way you think about your relationship with God? If you've been set free in Christ, if you know Jesus Christ, that's how it is. Here's the second implication. No longer earning, but receiving. No longer earning, but receiving. Chapter four, verse three, look at that verse with me. It's a key phrase. We were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. Just think about that logically with me, the, the elementary principles of this world. Again, people in their day kind of knew this in a different way, but, but we know this in a different way, but, it's, but it all kind of coincides. The, the elementary principles of the world are, are the conversations you have at work with your coworkers about getting that promotion, or maybe the conversations you don't have at work with your coworkers because you're trying to get the promotion and you're trying to kick them and get up the ladder yourselves, right? 
Like we all, we all just know how the world works. Like we, even as, like as, again, as parents, like we're trying to get them the tutor. We're trying to get them in the AP class. We're trying to get them in the gifted and talented, right? Because we want what? We want success. And we have an equation, a formula in all of our minds, like striving and straining and stressing equals success, right? That's something that everybody, it's like elementary principles. Like everybody knows that about our world. And Paul's saying, hey, yeah, you were once operating on a paradigm like that, but now things have changed, And he talks about specifically that things have changed as they're no longer slaves, but they are sons. Look at verse 26 of chapter three. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. How? Through faith. Now, you might ask like, hey, why son? Why not children? Why specifically son? Is this like a chauvinistic thing in the Bible? And no, the reality is the Bible was written in a specific culture, right? And, and Paul mentioned specifically son. Some translations will say children. I think it should stick as son because it was intentional because in that day in the ancient world, the son would receive an inheritance. Paul goes on to talk about the son is an heir. He goes on to talk about being heirs. This is the point he's trying to make is as a someone who is in Christ, you are now an heir. You receive an inheritance, In Christ. That's why he says son. So you've gone from slave to son. You've gone from earning to receiving. How many of you know if you are an heir, you get to receive the inheritance? I do have three kids, and uh, the the heir and the inheritance, it's not going to be that great. Sorry, guys. It sounds fancy more than it is, right? You're going to get the minivan. and uh, But you're going to, like, get those. Like, you're going to receive the minivan. Toyota Sienna. It's great. You're going to receive it because you're my heir, right? That's how your relationship with God works now. It's no longer earning, it's receiving. At one point you had this garden, you had just the law, you had just rules and everything in your life was checking off that, that thing off the list and you were just earning, earning, earning. But now you have a different relationship. It's one of receiving as an heir, as a son of a father, So again, my my teenage daughter, like our relationship has changed over the years. When when she was little, it was like, don't eat the dog food, right? It was like, don't do this and and you should do this. It's different now. It's like she's a real person now, right? She has like emotional intelligence. She can talk back to me like using actual thoughtful words and reasons and explanations, She can be vulnerable with me. She can understand that she can get like the B on the Power School app, the one that gives us her grade at the end of the day. She can get a B and I can still come alongside her and like talk through that with her. Like, how are you feeling with that? And I can tell her at the end of the day, like um, B, A, C, whatever. I love you. You're my daughter. I'm proud of you. Why? Because I'm her father, not just her guardian. Our father. And listen, I think when we talk about this in church and we have to do this, we, we tend to say things like, hey, some of you had an absent father. And I know some of you did. And some of you had a, a really broken relationship with your father. And so don't think about that when you think about God as father. And I would, I would say that, I would affirm that. But I would just flip the script a little bit. I want you to think about a father that you do know really well that's a great father. 
Like maybe it's somebody else in this room. Maybe it's not your dad. Maybe it's an uncle. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's somebody like a pastor. And you're just like, man, my father was crap. But that guy, he's a good father. Like I just love watching him with his kids. Like he's a good father. I want you to think about the best father you know. God as our father is infinitely better than that guy. Because that guy is imperfect and your heavenly father is perfect. He loves you, not because you can pay him back. He loves you knowing that you could never pay him back. He loved you and he didn't just say it with words and sound good. He showed it with his life. He entered into human history He lived the perfect life that you could not. He died a gruesome, bloody death on your behalf before, for this room, before you were even born, before you did anything, before your performance, before your grades in school, before you chose your spouse, before you had the philanthropic life, like before you did anything good, before you did anything bad, like before he knew you would reject him, Before he knew you would be indifferent at the very least to him and have a lot of other priorities in your life over and above him, before all of that, knowing all of that, he died for you. That's love from a perfect father, amen? That's who God is. It's not your father. It's not even the best father you can think of right now. And so this is what Paul's trying to show them. Hey, there once was a guardian. It was the law, rules. You broke them, you felt shamed. You achieved them, you felt self-righteous. The gospel blew that up. It's now relationship with a father. It's changed. Everything has changed. And that's what he goes on to talk about. What has changed as you're this heir, a child of God? Verse 29, look at that verse. He says, you're now included in Abraham's offspring. All of your dreams come true, right? It's really like, I've always wanted to be included in Abraham's offspring. What does that mean? It means a lot. See, you're in the line, if you placed your faith in Jesus, you're in the line of faith with Abraham, according to the promises of God. See, God promised Abraham, you will be blessed and you will be blessed to be a blessing to all of the nations. So here's what that means. As as an heir, you receive, you don't earn this. As an heir, you receive blessing in Christ. You receive blessing. But it's not just about you being blessed, like you sit and you're content with your blessing and comfort. No, you're unleashed for a purpose. Like you work in a cube, you're in school right now, you have an amazing job, you have what you think is a boring job. You have an incredible eternal purpose because you're included in Abraham's offspring. You're meant to be a blessing to the nations. Like that's what you receive. You don't earn it. You receive it. Paul goes on to say, chapter four, verse five, you are redeemed and adopted. You're redeemed. That literally means to buy out of for a different purpose, to set free. Specifically in the Bible, it means to redeem, to buy out of sin and law and slavery and to set free for a new purpose and fulfillment and joy and meaning in God as you were designed. You're redeemed. You're adopted. You have that father who loves you, who calls you his own. 
That's what you've received. Listen, let me just tell you, you cannot earn that. It only happens as you are an heir, as you open up your hands and you receive that. See, things have changed. No longer rules, but relationship. No longer guardian, but, but father. And it's beautiful. That's what you've experienced. And what's amazing about the gospel is it's not individualistic. Like that's what you've experienced and that's what you've experienced. Now, what I love is in verse 26, it says, for all of you are sons of God through faith. Two things I love about that. There's, there's an all of you, like, like all of you, like this whole collective group. We're going to talk about that in a second, that we're united, not divided. All of you. And it says in present tense, you are. You are. This is not when you achieve some things and get some things right and learn more of your Bible. This is not when you learn some theology. This is not when you go to a community group and you're not in one now, and then God is your father who loves you like this. This is right now, in the midst of what you did last night, in the midst of your self-righteousness. This is right now. You receive all of this as an heir. You're redeemed. You're adopted. You're an heir of God as father. That's true for you, but it's not just you. Here's our last point, just briefly. You're no longer divided, but you're united. Chapter three, verse 28 says it this way. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That in Christ, you have a father vertically. But guess what? That puts you in a family You have brothers and sisters and that unconditional love that you've received first from God, your father, you now get to extend to your brothers and sisters all around you. And now here's what's crazy is you get to do that with people who are not like you. It's crazy, isn't it? Like it was crazy in their day. Did you know one of the prayers Jewish people prayed every single day was, God, I thank you that I'm a Jew, not a Gentile. I thank you that I'm free, not a slave. And I thank you that I'm a a man, not a woman. That's one of the prayers they prayed in that culture. So what does Paul say? He says, oh, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, you are all one in Christ. Some of y'all, y'all don't get that, but like that's a mic drop moment. Like Paul wrote this like a pin drop moment. Like I think he did that after he wrote it. He just, bah. that's insane. What? Jew and Greek are now one? Male and female, now one? No way. We prided on ourselves on these sorts of things, our, our category that we were in, our, our background, our ethnicity. He says, no, not, now you're all one. Here's freedom. You're all one in Christ, even though you're different. And here's a big distinction. What this doesn't mean is that Christ or, or the gospel removes distinctions. It doesn't mean, okay, now there isn't male or female. It doesn't mean now there's not Jew or Greek. There's not black or, or white. It doesn't mean the, the, the distinctions are removed. It means the hostility between those distinctions are removed. Does this make sense? See, without Christ, here's what you have. Divided in diversity. How many of you are alive in 2022 and have Facebook? Was it, if you're, if you're diverse, you are divided. That's how it works. 
Here's what it means in Christ. Is in your diversity, you are united. You're united amidst your diversity. That means there's still man and woman. That means there's still Jew or Greek. That means it's still black or white. That means there's still Republican or Democrat. And yet you are all one in Christ. I, I, I don't know if y'all are realizing the implications of this. That, that's incredible freedom. That's incredible life change that, that rules and the law could not accomplish. But Jesus Christ, by grace through faith in him, it changes your vertical relationship, guardian to father. It changes your relationships horizontally with other people, enemies to now friends and even brothers and sisters and family. And just take a moment. I want you to do this, actually. Look around at other people in this room. Just look around. There's a lot of people in here. You can look up to the balcony, too. They're here. Hey, guys. In this room alone, Phoenix Bible Church on 4002 North 18th Avenue, just this church, there's a big C church out there across the world. In this little room, there are people, we just prayed them out after first service, a girl from Italy. There are people from all over the world in this room, different nationalities, different ethnicities. There are for sure in here different personalities. You know how I know? Because I know a lot of y'all. And y'all don't, y'all like wouldn't hang out with each other. But like uniquely, I'm the pastor, so I get to talk to both of y'all. Like y'all don't, like you're not coming here because of your commonality. This is not the country club where you pay your dues and you all share the same affinity. This is not the Rotary Club. I don't even know what they do. They gave me a scholarship when I was in high school. So thank you, Rotary Club. Like, I don't know what you have to have in common for the Rotary Club, but I'm giving scholarships to guys like me. I don't know what you have in common, but, but you have some stuff in common, so you join together. The Church of Jesus Christ is the only institution, the only group in the entire world where all of y'all are so different, and yet you do intimate things like pray together and sing together. Yes, I mean, you would sing in front of your coworkers to save your life. But you'll sing in front of some other people who are different than you. And you'll go to a community group and like do a meal train and like, why y'all, why y'all here? <laughs> Jesus. That's where the answer is, Jesus. Why are you here? Jesus. You're all one in Christ. It's beautiful. And here's how we're going to end today to express that beauty and show that beauty is we're going to take communion. You know, communion has always been a family meal. That you take the bread and you dip it in the juice or the wine. It's reminding you of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ on your behalf that allows you, a sinful person, to call God Father, to experience his perfect love individually, vertically. That's what communion is representing for you. But it's better than that. It's we take communion together. It's a family meal that you get to do that with God and you get to celebrate his payment on the cross for your sin and his freeing you from the law and slavery. You get to do that in isolation. You get to do that vertically, but you get to look around the room and see people from all different ethnicities and personalities. You get to see them doing that too. Come on somebody. There is nothing like it. 
There's nothing like it. That's why communion is so beautiful. And so we're going to sing now. We're going to respond to this beautiful truth, and we're going to partake in communion together as a family with a Father in heaven who loves you, who has set you free. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for that beautiful reality. God, I pray that if we don't get it quite yet, we would, as we take communion, as we take the elements, as we take the bread, the juice, the wine, God, it would hit us afresh, all that you have accomplished in and through Jesus Christ. And God, I just pray for us right now. I pray for us amidst the distractions. I pray for us amidst the sin and the rules that maybe we're recounting right now. God, if we need to, we would just give those things to you. Right now, we would just open up empty hands of faith. And maybe it's our self-righteousness and the things that we're banking on, that we, we're better than the guy next to us or the girl next to us. God, we would give that up to you as, as self-righteous sin. And God, you would change those people by your grace. But God, I pray for also the people in this room who feel an immense amount of guilt and shame because they can't keep the rules because all they've known you as is a guardian who just swats their hand out of something they're not supposed to get into. And they've never known you as father. God, I pray that right now, by the power of your spirit, through communion, through song, God, that they would experience a transformation in their relationship with you. It would go from rules to relationship, from guardian to father, from slave to free. Ah, That's what's so beautiful about this moment of communion and help us not to miss that. Help us not to miss that on our own. Help us not to miss that with our family. Our church family is surrounding us. The beautiful moment we get to partake in, celebrate and sing about. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.